0: This episode is brought to you by Odyssey Mushroom Elixir. Odyssey contains 2,750 milligrams of lion's mane and cordyceps functional mushrooms that have been shown to increase brain function, mood, memory, and boost energy. With Odyssey Mushroom
1: Elixir, there's no need to settle for a drink that's full of chemicals and empty calories. The flavors are delicious. There are caffeinated and uncaffeinated options, and I love to use it as a mocktail at parties, as an afternoon pick-me-up. And while I love all the flavors, my favorite is the Sparkling Dragon Fruit Lemonade. If you want to try Odyssey Mushroom Elixir, you can take 20% off your purchase today with code CWpodcast all one word at odysseyelixir.com. And all of that information can be found in our show notes or on our link tree on Instagram. Welcome
0: to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French, and this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition
1: health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time.
0: It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best.
1: And because we wanna bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our Courageous Wellness.
0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a wonderful episode today with Kemi Nekvapil, who is a leading coach all around the world. Um, and we talk about her new book power, but we will get to her formal intro in just a minute. Um, we're going to do our updates as we usually do. And, you know, I, I shared a few weeks ago, I think that I had a family member in hospice and my grandma recently passed and, um, you know, I'm reflecting on that, especially in the context of some recent episodes and conversations we had, especially that with Rachel Montez Minor, who was on the show not too long ago with her children's book, um, See You on the Other Side. So I really highly recommend that episode and that conversation if you haven't listened yet. Um, But I also was thinking a lot about my grandma in terms of the topic of conversation with Kemi and power and my, you know, my grandma was born in a time where a lot was not, um, available to women. Um, and she was one of the smartest people I know, but never was able to have a formal education. Um, and, but could kick anybody's butt mm-hmm. in my entire family, um, <laughs> uh, at Scrabble. I mean, just one of the most, the brightest women I know. And really, I think came into her power as a, as a grandmother of 12 and a great grandmother of four wow! and um, just really got to relish in that role and take us, especially as older kids. I mean, I'm in my late thirties now and I I feel so blessed to have had her for so long in my life, but she would take us on road trips and to like, I grew up in the East coast. So we'd go to Boston and DC. I, I grew up in the New York area and all over the East Coast learning, she'd take us to literary, um, like authors' homes in Massachusetts. And you know, just like I I I don't know, I have so much appreciation for her. And um and there's many, many granddaughters in particular in my family. And the first, I think it was the first six grandkids were all girls. Wow. And really <laughs> took a specific interest in giving us um, encouragement and, and unique, uh, unique encouragement for what our interests were. And I think having a woman in my life like that, who really wanted to empower us from a, from a young age through many different, in many different ways was such a gift. So, um, anyway, that's my update. And, uh, It's, you know, it's bittersweet, but it's life. And yeah,
1: it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. And it is so relevant to this conversation today. And I think it's so special too, Allie that you had all like you've had all of your grandparents like well into your 30s and like what a gift that truly, truly is and honoring, honoring your beautiful grandmother today in this episode. So it's really beautiful. um,
0: I do recognize that that it's an unusual gift and I I have two who are doing great well into their 90s just like a cruise. I mean it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty remarkable to be like a couple years from 40 and have had these relationships for this long and I don't I don't take that lightly.
1: Yeah. No, that's really special. I mean, yeah, my update is is an astro update, but it kind of leads into that because if anyone you're... Your grandmother passed a little before the eclipses, but it's still in the eclipse energy. And they say if you pass during eclipse season, it's like you're you're like a strong, powerful soul because it's such like a potent, powerful energy in time. So I don't think that's a coincidence for your for your grandmother either. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going to share, you know, we're recording this a little bit ahead of time because of some travel that Ali and I both have. But um, my update is for the whole month of October. It's kind of like an astro update and kind of if anyone's feeling the energy, what's going on astrologically, it is eclipse season. We have two eclipses. One A solar eclipse in Libra on October 14th that just happened when this episode airs, and a lunar eclipse in Taurus on October 27th, which I think is Hmm. happening a couple days after this episode is released. But the energy is really potent the entire month. And the solar eclipse is really kicking off an 18-month cycle um, in. Aries and Libra. The north node is now in Aries and the south node is in Libra. And the south node represents karmic past and the north node represents kind of karmic future. And for a lot of people if you're born kind of um early 1987 and kind of like mid to late 1986, you're also having a nodal return. Um that's kind of in my age group. I'm 88. So if you're younger or older, you could also be having your nodal return to, but I think for a lot of our listeners in their mid thirties, that's, that's kind of where you're at. And if you're probably 17 or 18, you're having one too. Um, so, so that's kind of what's going on with the nodes, but right now the energy is really potent. The solar on October fourteenth is about new beginnings. The lunar eclipse in Taurus is about endings. It's ending an eighteen-month cycle where the nodes were in Taurus and Scorpio. And Ali, that was actually your nodal returns. So you're actually oh. ending your nodal. Hey. <laughs> um, no, your north node. End it, baby. <laughs> yeah is in Scorpio and your, your South node is in Scorpio. So what this really means though, is, you know, this, this energy is really potent. It's kind of like an anything goes energy. It's going to start a lot of new beginnings and kind of thinking about what's going on in your life that you really want to kind of tackle for the next 18 months. Aries energy is really about Um, the self, right? And Libra energy is really about partnerships and relationships. And so I think, you know, we talk about this a little bit at the end of our episode with Kemi, because she's a Leo, but, you know, I really find that the high vibe of a sign incorporates kind of sister sign so the high vibe of Aries which we're all going to is really more of a focus on the self and the individual but taking kind of the positives of the south node right whereas the south node in Libra is really about like so much focus on relationships and the other and people pleasing and not focusing on yourself. But I think a high vibe Aries is somebody who prioritizes themselves, prioritizes their needs, but also cares about their relationships and the people in their lives. So that's the new beginning and cycle we're starting. But right now with this eclipse happening on the 27th, it's ending that cycle in Taurus and Scorpio. It's ending an 18 month story. The last eclipse was in March, April. So it's kind of finishing a story from that time, but really finishing this 18 month cycle. And anyway, I say all of this only because I think we're all feeling the collective energy, right? Libras, Aries, Taurus and Scorpios and cardinal and fixed signs are going to feel this the most, but we all feel it collectively. And so it's just a time if you're feeling a little tired or, you know, a lot's coming up for you, just, you know, make note of it and realize you're kind of feeling the energy of the universe, the energy of the planets. And yeah, I think it's really cool. So that's kind of, I just wanted to share. It's like my update. I think we're all feeling it. I think I'm feeling good about this energy so far at the time of recording, who knows where I'll be when this episode is released. <laughs> but um, I like, you know, I am a Libra sun. I'm an Aries Mars. You're a triple Aries. I um, I kind of am like excited about this next 18 month mm-hmm. cycle. I feel like it's going to be great. Um, and I'm kind of happy we're ending the Taurus Scorpio cycle because it was, it's been a crazy 18 months. But anyway, that's my update. We do talk a little bit about astrology at the end with Kemi. And it's, again,
0: it's such a good episode. So
1: yeah, that's kind of Should where we I'm get at, to where it. We're all at.
0: Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's the go episode. into the episode then. So, Kemi Nekvapil is one of Australia's leading credentialed coaches for female executives and entrepreneurs, an author, and a highly sought-after international speaker. She has studied leadership and purpose at the Gross National Happiness Center in Bhutan and trained with Dr. Brené Brown to become a certified Dare to Lead facilitator. Kemi is a facilitator for the Hunger Project Australia and a regular interviewer of industry icons, including Elizabeth Gilbert, Martha Beck, and Marie Forleo. She hosts the podcast, The Shift Series. Today, we talk about Kemi's journey and
1: discuss her new book, Power, A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology, released in September. In Power, Kemi illuminates how internal power is stronger and more enduring than that bestowed externally. She introduces a new framework for cultivating power from the inside out. Power guides us on how to practice, build, and feel your power and is a deeply moving, inspiring, and radically empowering book that doesn't shy away from the ways power has been used as a tool to keep women, especially women of color, small, and at the same time invites everyone to tap into their inner power and transform the way they live and lead. We had a really great conversation. That is one of my top conversations of the year on the show, and we hope you enjoy the episode.
0: Before we get to today's episode, we want to tell you a little bit about the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Erica and I are both certified integrative health coaches. I have advanced training in hormone health, and she has advanced training in gut health. And we offer health coaching and corporate coaching through the Courageous Wellness Collective. We continued our education and received certification through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. IIN has taken the lead in the health coaching industry from its inception and provides a comprehensive curriculum that combines nutrition, coaching, and business. We loved the program and have had many
1: listeners ask us about continuing their education in nutrition, health coaching, or even just advancing their personal knowledge about food and nutrition. So we are very excited to be able to offer a discount to Courageous Wellness listeners to study at IIN. The program is completely accessible virtually with lectures led by health, wellness, and medical industry experts. To receive up to $2,500 off your tuition, you can use our names, Allie French or Erica Stein at the time of enrollment to receive the tuition discount. We have also included a link in the show notes that will take you directly to IIN to learn more about their wonderful programs.
0: Welcome, Kemi. Erica and I are really happy to have you on the show today. Um, So just to get us started, can you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your personal background and how that's led you into the work that you're currently doing?
2: Thank you so much. It's delightful to be here with both of you. And I am an executive and personal coach I'm also a Dare to Lead facilitator. So I trained with Dr. Brené Brown in Texas a few years ago. So I facilitate her work internationally. I'm also an aspiring flower farmer. I'm obsessed with peonies and David Austin roses. And so um, I'm someone that has gardened from, I, I can't even, I don't even know how young I was, but very young when I first got my hands in the soil. I'm currently in New York, actually, on a bit of a book tour. And I actually said to my assistant today, I said, um, I have not had my hands in the dirt for 2 weeks and I'm now not going well. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back to Australia soon so I can do that. But um yeah I you know I have a portfolio career I have, you know, a childhood story, I think, that resonates for many in terms of I didn't feel like I had a sense of agency in my childhood growing up. And I've listened to a couple of these podcasts and I know that a lot of the guests that you have on, you know, what we've been able to do is to take maybe any childhood trauma or any wounds that we have had and actually transmute them in a way that heals ourselves, but also is able to generously share that for the healing of others. And so I grew up... um, I have Nigerian heritage, but I was born in England and I've now lived in Australia for 20 years, which is why my accent is now a little bit off. It's like the Aussies know that I'm English, but the English now think I'm Aussie and the Americans definitely think I'm Aussie. So it's very confusing. Um, But I grew up in 1970s England. I was one of the tens of thousands of Nigerian Children that were fostered to white families because my parents made what they believed to be the best decision for me and my siblings, which was to have the best education, which a lot of parents focus on for their children. And that meant, because of the colonial narrative, that English education was the one and only education worth its salt. And so, from being a very young baby until I was 13 years old, I had five separate foster parents. And that has definitely had a big grounding in the work that I do. Because I'm very committed to women taking up space in the world and owning their power, especially at this time that we're in. There's so many opportunities right now to really change some of the structures that we find ourselves in. And that sense of power comes from spending a lot of my earlier years feeling powerless.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And there's so much that we want to discuss with you today and talk about your own journey. But I'd like to start with that word that you just shared with us, because I think a lot of women can relate to feeling powerlessness. So can we maybe explore that a little bit more and kind of talk about how you are able to dismantle that and start regaining your power? or redefining your power too.
2: Yeah. And one thing I actually speak about in my book is that power, because of the structures that we live with, power is not something that, oh, next Wednesday at 4pm, I will be in my power and I will never, never lose my power again. You know, I am the mother of teenagers. I can feel incredibly powerful when I'm doing a keynote on stage and I go home My teenager grunts at me or gives me a look and there is the powerlessness looking at me right in the face. And I remember toddlers as well. Um, And so for me, it's very much about looking at what are the spaces and places and who are the people that when we spend time with them, we feel powerless. And then because I'm a coach, the questions are to get really curious about how do we feel and what do we think when we're in those spaces and places or with those people. So for example, you know, I work with C-suite executives and I also work with successful entrepreneurs and I work with non-for-profits and I want a diverse life, as Brene Brown says. So I have diverse clients because I, you know, I gain a lot from learning more about different people, different industries, different ages. So I might be working with a client who's a CEO, who's in a room with men and she cannot use her voice in that space. She just feels like, I know I'm here for a reason, but I just feel spoken over or they take the credit for my work. And although we know we've been talking about mansplaining for a very long time, one of the things about entitlement is a lot of men don't even know that they are doing it. And so it's an opportunity for us as women sometimes to actually compassionately say, Hey, in the meetings, you're always like talking over me? Or did you know that actually you and John took the credit, but it was for my work? So this one CEO could feel powerless in the boardroom. But then when she goes home to her family, she feels very present, you know, as um, as a mother, she feels very present in her relationship. But then there may be somebody else who feels very powerful in the boardroom. But then when they go and visit their parents, they feel powerless, you know, or when they go and visit one of their siblings, they feel powerless. So where we feel powerless and whom we feel powerless with is different for every single person but the thing that um, binds us all together depending on our identities is the structures that we have to operate in and under so that includes patriarchy homophobia racism ableism all of the things that we know anyone that has a marginalized identity makes it very, very hard to feel our sense of power in the world when it's constantly telling us that we are powerless.
0: Yeah, that, you know, it makes it makes sense. And, and one of the things that I thought was interesting that you talk about in your book, Power, um, was this idea of when we start to challenge how internalized some of our own thoughts can be, um, around around these, because of these systems, because of not, not knowing, growing up in this, right? Not knowing anything else and, until we start to create awareness around it and maybe identify that and how it exists even inside of us, certain sets of beliefs or certain sets of perpetuating systems of power or beliefs about, you know, hi- Erica and I were talking about too, like hierarchy and like culture of domination where there's sort of, Power, you talk about it too, like power over others. But this idea of when we start to recognize that some of that lives inside of us and we have to navigate systems in the external. um, I guess my question in this is you know, if people are starting to come to an awareness of how they might um, be giving their power away or, or Perpetuating systems of power or ideas of, of um, you know, power, not in a not in an empowered way, but in a sort of oppressive way. How can we start to a build awareness within ourselves, but also deal with perhaps some of the feelings that might come up when when there's awareness around it.
2: Yeah, well, I think the first thing kind of, you know, speaks to what Erica said as well, this idea of powerlessness. Like for me, what I knew that I had to do was actually look at what does the word power mean? What is the dictionary definition of the word power? Because as you're saying, Ali. Most of us don't want anything to do with a form of power that's power over, that is dominating, that hurts other people. And so a lot of women, that's why it was such a big thing to actually just call the book power. I do remember at one point someone said, well, do you want to call it like female power or personal power? I was like, no, I don't. It's just power. That's what it is. And the tagline, you know, a guide for women to live and lead with apology gives it more understanding of what it is. But for me, when I looked at the dictionary definition, and I obviously went to the Oxford Dictionary because I'm English, I'm sorry for the other dictionary lovers, um, the definition of power is the capacity to do something in a particular way, the ability or capacity to do something in a particular way, which means that every single one of us has power. Now, this is different to the resource, the external resources that we may have we do not live in a fair society, we do not live in a fair world, we all have very, very different access to external resources, but our internal resources, and maybe we'll sort of speak to the power principles and speak about equality, but our internal sense of agency that comes from being a human is actually a really great grounded anchor place for our power. And as you know, as we've already spoken about, depending on who we are and where we are, taking ownership of our internalized patriarchy, me as a black woman taking ownership of my internalized racism, taking ownership of my lack of knowledge, um, maybe around people that are living with disabilities. And that's something that I've really been working on for the last two years. There is power in that. There is not power in saying, oh, I'm a good person. It's like, okay, that doesn't mean anything to me. It's like, are you doing the work to understand other people that do not have the experiences that you do, do not have to navigate the world with the same privileges that you do? And I have lots of privilege. I don't have race and gender privilege, but I have a lot of privilege. And with my privilege, I aim to do something meaningful and impactful with it, as opposed to feeling guilty, because there's no power in feeling guilty about our privilege.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank you for breaking that down. I think, yes, i can resonate with what you just said and and one of the things that i think would be helpful too is is the acronym that you created around power in in the book um but you break it down into presence ownership wisdom equality and responsibility and even even the ownership and the responsibility i feel like is something you just sort of hit on which is is really interesting because i do you know i i do think that especially women, maybe I'm generalizing, but I think a lot of shame and guilt um, can be kind of in the equation, especially when you're breaking out of the, I want to be good, like the good girl, you talk a lot about that as well. And um, so this idea of taking ownership and responsibility in the power, um, well, can I guess maybe just to start, can you talk a little bit about that acronym, how you came up with it and just the basics of those um, of those five components and then we can yeah. go into it a little bit more.
2: Okay, absolutely. And I know that the two of you, You know that you have a Buddhist practice, and I'm sure lots of your listeners are also meditators, so you would understand that the first principle is presence, and this idea that we need to be present in our lives to know what is working and what is not working, and that our ability to connect to ourselves and to be able to connect to other people from being connected to ourselves has a huge impact in how we get to navigate in the world and how we experience ourselves in the world. And presence is a practice, you know, especially in a world that is constantly trying to distract us. It is a real conscious effort to decide I'm going to be present in my life. The next is ownership which is around taking ownership of our stories that, you know, there are stories that we have lived. There are stories that we have inherited. There are maybe from our family, but also maybe from society. There are stories that we've made up. um, There are stories that we've experienced and witnessed, and all of that comes together to make up who we are as individuals. And when we can really take the time to look at, What of my story do I own that works with me right now? And I want to take into the next season or the next chapter in my life. But what are the stories that are made up? Like I was told as a young black girl growing up in a very white world that I was not intelligent, that I was ugly, that I was not smart, that there was no hope for me. And so that was something that I carried with me for a very, very long time. But thankfully, I've done been doing personal development work now for like 30 plus years. And so I now know that that is not true. But it took me a long time to unpick those stories and take with me what is supporting me for the next chapter. And then there's wisdom. And it sounds sort of ironic that me as a coach would say that we shouldn't outsource our lives. But as an ICF credentialed coach, an International Coaching Federation coach, it is not my job as a coach to tell anyone what to do. It is not my job to give advice. What I do is create a safe space where my clients know that they I don't have an agenda for them other than to be with their full humanity. And so in that, that gives them the space to tap into their own wisdom and decide for themselves, what is the next action that I need to take that honors either who I am now or who I want to be in the future? Because we do have this incredible internal guidance system. And I think we've all experienced when we listen to our intuition, things go really well. And when we don't things do not go well, you know. Um, The next is equality, which we kind of touched on, and that's looking at, you know, obviously there's global inequality and we are all aware of that, but there is also that we as individuals need to feel a sense of equality within us because the more of us that feel equal, we will be able to impact the world with a different energy than if we go around thinking, oh, well, that person, as you spoke about hierarchies, Uh, Well, that person is higher up than me in the company. So therefore, I don't get to talk to them. And one of the questions that I ask um, in the group group coaching program that I have is around what do you do when you feel unequal? So it's not just so much of I feel let's just say I feel unequal when I'm with my my mum, for example, because maybe my mum, you know, someone's mum might be criticised them. So it's like, I feel unequal. It's like, okay, how do you feel? I feel um, like I'm not good enough. I feel like I have to prove my worth, that I have value. So then I ask the question, and how do you act? And it's so interesting. It's not so much about what we feel, it's how do we act in those situations? So some people, if they have a parent that criticizes them, they will kind of go in for the fight. Like they're outside the door, Knocking on the house door, about to go, and they're like, "I'm ready. I am ready to defend myself." Right? And then, what is not really there is there for humanity. What is there is I'm going to prove to you that I am equal. And there's not a connection between them and their parent. Whereas somebody else may completely withdraw, and they may become really quiet, and they'll just go and sit in their childhood chair at their childhood home, even though they may be a 45 year old adult. And they'll just sit there and kind of pick at the corner of the chair, you know. So it's different for each person, but understanding what we do when we feel powerless and and unequal is really powerful. And then finally is responsibility. So let's use that example again, so that maybe you're the adult that's in the chair and you're just feeling really small in that chair. That you may decide, okay, I'm going to be responsible for how I show up in my childhood home with my parents. So when I next go. Instead of sitting in the chair that I sat in from the ages of three to 17, I'm actually going to go and sit in a different chair. Oh, my God. Could you imagine like maybe going and sitting in like your dad's chair? Like that could just explode the whole family dynamic. (laughs) But, you know, it's those little actions. But we have to know that we're equal in those spaces. And then we have to take responsibility. You know, I say that one of the gifts of being fostered, one of the gifts of being a black girl in the 1970s being read fairy tales at that time was that i never saw stories where the princesses looked like me and i never saw princes that looked like me so i knew from a very young age that no one was coming to save me and yet there can be a shadow side of that which is why i wrote my second book the gift of asking because the shadow side is i then navigated the world as i'm independent no one can help me i need to do it by myself you know so there's as you would know there's light and shadow to every single behavior that we have But taking responsibility for me is kind of orgasmic, to be honest. It doesn't mean that it's not challenging. It doesn't make life easier. Sometimes it makes life harder. It means that we have to let go of people. It means that some people will let go of us. But there's nothing like knowing that we actually have agency in our lives and that we need to be in the driver's seat. So they're the five power principles and what I speak about through the book.
1: I love that. Thank you for sharing. I mean, it's so clear. And it's I feel like tangible, right to start reclaiming this internal power. And, you know, as you mentioned, the tagline of your book, right, is a woman's guide to living and leading without apology. And when Ali and I were talking to like, just talking about your book and a little bit before recording, I think so many women historically, right, have focused on like, maybe even not consciously, but keeping themselves small, um, you know, staying small, staying safe, staying quiet, staying good, right? Like that good, as long as I'm good, as long as I'm liked, right, I'm safe, I'm small. And I think, I think that's why I think, you know, white women are the biggest perpetuators of a lot of these systems. And when I've thought about like the why, you know, at least Myself, I'm like, well, I think it's about staying small, staying good, staying safe, and not, you know, I don't know if everyone realized, right, that through doing that, we're harming ourselves and harming others. And um, when we really start to think about, like, well, what does it mean to take up space? And, you know, we did also an episode with the authors of um, Reclaiming Body Trust, and it was a lot about dismantling. I mean, reclaiming body trust in our own bodies, but, you know, dismantling fat phobia in ourselves and, you know, feeling like, you know, we are worthy of food. We are worthy of literally taking up space in these bodies. I mean, this is also connected in so many different ways. And um, this concept of internal power, right? It is Ali and I, as you mentioned, we met through our Buddhist practice and, you know, our Buddhist practice really um, teaches, you know, that when we change our environment changes and that, you know, these are the steps to kind of creating world peace, right? Is through one person trans- having an inner transformation of human revolution and helping other people have their own human revolution. We can create, you know, these ripple effects that create a peaceful world. But um, it's very hard to do. As you mentioned, it could take years to do this work. And there can be so much shame and guilt that comes up when you realize how much harm maybe you've accidentally um you're not intentionally done. Some people, I'm sure it's done intentionally, but others it might be unintentional or or how many years you've lost, you know, focusing on food or hating your body or staying small, whatever it may be. And um the power, right? These steps are so clear as to ways I think to reclaim. But um as you shared too, it it t- it took years, right, to dismantle and do this work. So if anyone's listening and they they would like to start really reclaiming their power are there any kind of first steps that you'd recommend for our listeners to take is is power in order can we start anywhere is there you know what could be a first step for someone listening
0: we want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about BTR Nation BTR is a female founded food brand that is on a mission to end mindless snacking with their protein bars with a purpose. BTR bars and chocolate truffle cups are plant based and made with no gluten, no dairy, no soy, no added sugar, no corn or rice syrups, no GMOs, no natural flavors, no sugar alcohols, no stevia, no inflammatory ingredients, and no gums or fillers. It's the cleanest label in the category. They only use ingredients that you can pronounce and adaptogenic superfoods like reishi, lion's mane, and cordyceps. Allie and I
1: love BTR bars and always have them in our cabinets. I am currently loving the cinnamon cookie dough energy bars and the cherry dark chocolate truffle cups are my favorite sweet treat founder and owner Ashley Marie found inspiration for her brand in an unlikely place at an unlikely time at the hospital cafeteria. When both of her parents were diagnosed with cancer, her life turned upside down as she became their caretaker and her own nutrition began to suffer. Ashley was devouring protein bars when she could, as many of us do, to fit in a meal or a snack. Most of the bars she quickly discovered were filled with sugar. After her parents passed away, she founded her bar brand based on their family mantra, be
0: bold, tenacious, and resilient, B T R if you want to try BTR bars and truffle cups, you can save 20% on your order with code courageous wellness at btrnation.com. You can also find this link in our show notes and link tree on Instagram.
2: So there's so much in what you've just said there, Erica. And I also want to acknowledge as well that you even just saying the words as a white woman, you know, there's such responsibility and ownership in that. And I think that is the opportunity that we've had. I, have had quite a few actually middle-aged white men and I have to say I'm married to one so I am married to a straight heterosexual cisgendered able-bodied neurotypical I think well we think well we don't know some days um, but neurotypical Christian lawyer so you know I don't get to tick more boxes right and also when I speak about patriarchy I'm not speaking about patriarchy as the men I'm talking about the system of patriarchy which we know does not in any way support men's humanity either and so for me the idea of living with with apology is that you're right a lot of women live very small and keep themselves small and that has gone into whether we feed ourselves whether we don't feed ourselves but that's because we're smart because we have survival instincts and we have been told by society or by our family be nice be good do not rock the boat do not rock the boat then you will be valued, then we will love you, and then we will not reject you. So then anything that I think it's it's Jane Goodall, you know, the beautiful lady that, you know, the beautiful stories about the gorillas, she says, it's not hard to be a difficult woman, just have an opinion. You know, it is not hard for women to have that sense, even now, in the centuries that we're in, to have that feeling of being burnt at the stake. So, It is still happening to some women, not the stake, but there are certain ways that women are taken away um, and their lives are taken because they do the wrong thing in inverted commons. That doesn't happen so much in the Western society, but what does happen in the Western society, but what does happen in the Western society is that we are burnt at the stake through trolling and bullying and the way that the media will speak about a woman that has an opinion or does the, once again, in air quotes, the wrong thing. So, we are surviving. And that's why we keep small. So I never want an individual woman to think, what is wrong with me? Why am I staying small? It's like, oh, because you live in the world. That's why that is happening. That's not a flaw in you. That is not because you're broken. So then to your question, what are the first steps? And, you know, I always want to honor each person's individual humanity and each person's internal and external resources, which is why I never give tips as a coach. And as I've already shared, power is not a one and done thing. It is a constant thing. I had a situation just a month ago with my husband going into a particular restaurant and I could feel the eyes on me. And I remember my husband really wanted to eat there. And I went into the toilet and I was actually incredibly emotional. I was on the toilet crying and I was saying to myself, you can do this, Kemi, you can do this. You can have lunch here. Your husband wants to have lunch here. Like this is the one thing he's chosen that he wants to do for this romantic weekend. So you can do it. You can do it. And then I just had this moment and I just took a breath and I was just like, actually, you don't have to do this. And I walked out of the toilet and I said to my husband, babe, I don't want to have lunch here. And he stood up with me and he said, I saw it. I felt it. Let's go. And we walked outside and I was crying and he gave me a big hug and he said, you never ever have to be in spaces and places where you are not welcome. Now, years ago, I would have just felt well, that's just what I have to do. Like, that's, I just have to stay in this space. I'm just so used to having people look at me and I will hustle for my worth and smile at people that are not smiling at me. And, and I just realized, no, I don't need to. So that's an example of me feeling powerless in that situation when I walked in and the woman kind of jumped from behind the counter and was looking me up and down and was hideous and assumed that my husband and I weren't together because he was a white man. Um, And then But my power was being able to say to myself, I don't have to do this. So I think the first question, and it's always questions for me, because that's what we get to, is to think about where are the spaces that you feel most powerful in your life and with whom? Whom do you feel that you are seen, that you can be fully expressed as who you are, all your successes in your life, all of the challenges, all of the heartaches? Where do you feel your power and with whom? What are the spaces that you feel your power? And then flip it. Who are the people that you do not feel powerful with, that there is an inequality and why is that inequality there? Is it because of job title? Is it because of gender? Is it because of race? What is it to get curious about that? And once again, to look at that. Now, most of us don't walk around thinking, oh, when I was in the office today, I was really feeling powerless. You know, we think I felt bad in the in that meeting. I wish I'd spoken up. So I know that it's even a new concept for women to even think about their life through the lens of power. And yet, pun intended, it's incredibly powerful to do so. And what I would invite people to do is not necessarily take any crazy actions right now. It's just to be aware. It's just to be, oh, that's when I'm with those two friends, that's the feeling that I'm having. It's not that I'm not as funny as her. It's actually, I don't feel equal in this triad of friendships. And just to be aware and then to trust that you will know the action that you may or may not need to take to kind of sense what your power may look like in those conversations.
0: Thank you for sharing that. A lot of what you just said really resonated with me. And especially that story you were just sharing in the restaurant when you gave yourself permission to leave a space like because I think sometimes even if we recognize I feel like or like I I just don't feel good around these people I feel in in unequal or whatever it might be but then there's this sense of like as you were saying years ago oh, I have to fight that. I have to prove differently. I have to, you know, I have to change, change it, like, but through controlled action um, and giving yourself permission in that moment to be like, I, I don't want to be here. It's not, it doesn't resonate for me and what feels best for me right now. And a, like choosing that for yourself is is just like, I got goosebumps when you were saying it because it was like so self loving and respectful and um just like a lot of compassion i think for yourself and i think oftentimes we're taught that that just has to be for others but ultimately um caring for yourself in that moment you know i've had these yeah. i've had these experiences where it's like a struggle of like oh well i feel really like it's not, it's not for my best health to be around these people, for example, yeah. like knowing that yeah. certain different dynamics yeah. or whatever it might be, but, um, I need to prove differently, you know, or I need to, uh, not let them win. <laughs> like, you know, it's like that kind of, um, and there's a fine line, I think sometimes between having, like, it takes courage for both of those choices, right? If you, if it if you just chose to stay, it would be an act of courage, but you also had an enormous courage to say, Hey, guess what? This doesn't work for me and I'm going to leave. And so I think, I think what I took away from you sharing also that all of that is this idea of like self trust, that intuition that you brought up earlier, like cultivating that kind of conversation with yourself and your inner wisdom and making decisions from that place. Um, is I think probably the most powerful thing of all so I'm really glad you shared that so thank you for that
2: that's okay and I also have to share as well that you know obviously a part of that story is also my husband and his reaction Mm -hmm. and you know that's what the power of privilege looks like yeah you know we've been together for 22 years and he we have biracial children we have two children and for him to have done the work to understand that a lot of mixed relationships don't work because the person in the majority is not willing to be present to how their partner actually has to navigate the world in reality. And so the partner is constantly gaslighted. Now, if my husband had said to me, babe, it's fine, don't worry, it's fine. We're just gonna have lunch, it's fine, it's fine. That would have been a different thing. Maybe I would have then decided, oh, I'm I'm making a fuss, I'm being a burden, Mm -hmm. I'll just suck it up. But I feel like I did that for nearly half of my life. You know, so having that safe space. And I talk about in the book the power of privilege and also the power of community. And you yeah. know, there's a part of that that's the power of allyship. You know, my husband writes this beautiful letter to me in the book after the murder of George Floyd. And when I shared with my community my experiences um, of racism, and he wrote me this stunning handwritten letter about what it is to be a white man navigating the world and the reality of kind of his internalized how glorious it is to have this idea that the world was made for you, you know, that this beautiful, sweet lullaby that he has sung and how it just feels so lovely. And, you know, he talks by the end of the letter of like, but that was a lullaby that was sung to me and you're singing this this discordant song. And I promise you that for our marriage, I will always listen to the song that you sing me. And I admit that the lullaby is always going to be there because that is what I was raised with. You know, so there's also where everyone's doing their work that I as the marginalized person can say, I don't have to be here. Mm-hmm. And that the person of the majority can also say, do you know what? I've done my work to completely understand why you yeah. don't want to be here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for telling that. It's a, it's a really powerful story. Yeah,
1: It's so, it's so powerful. And it, in, in a, sillier way not to like but it reminds me too there's a meme that I feel like is very popular for like women that gets around when it's like you don't feel confident or you don't feel strong um you don't feel powerful um just like channel a mediocre white man
2: right like just channel oh yeah yeah Yeah, it's so good it is so good (laughs) I have that conversation with my clients often, even even (laughs) the white females that I work with, you know, it's exactly the same. And we all get it. That's what's so great is that every single woman gets it because we've all been in the spaces with mediocre white men and that sense of they just show up anyway. Yeah, they just ask for the raise anyway. They ask (laughs) for the extension on the project anyway. Like it doesn't matter. They'll just ask. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so, you know, um, something that you're Book too, and and this conversation has reminded me about too is I I once had kind of a sad conversation with um someone I know and care about deeply. But it was we were having this conversation about Buddhism actually in life, and that kind of we weren't calling it internal power, but I think like internally, um like we get to decide, right? Like how we feel, how we define ourselves. And, and they said something to me that kind of broke my heart a little bit, right? Where they were like, well, we live in these systems. And so what, you know, what, it doesn't matter how you define success for yourself if society doesn't deem it successful, right? Or whatever. And I think it broke my heart, right? But I think a lot of people live like that. And, and, you know, maybe, and again it's because of the systems that we do live in yeah. that has trained us to maybe feel and especially with social media and all of this stuff to feel like everything external is what matters and um you know this internal work is so it's it's so important because i think all three of us have felt that change right like yes externally it may be one thing but when you have this shift It does make a difference in your day to day. It does make a difference in how you feel. It makes a difference in how you show up for yourself and for others. Um, But yeah, it just like broke my heart. And I, I think about that often when I'm with this person that I care about. And I don't know, I just wanted to see if you had anything to say to that or anybody who might be stuck in kind of this external validation or, okay, I'll, I'll do this work, but like, how do I really exist in this society then
0: still too?
2: Well, I don't know. Is there a part two to the podcast? Are we having <laughs> right. <a part> two?
0: <laughs> We're going to need
2: That's to. <laughs> yeah. So, um, firstly, it is so interesting what we do as human beings to each other. So, This person may be someone that loves you deeply. So that idea that we always want to protect those that we love. And I always say that our dreams rarely get off the kitchen table, that the people close to us are not necessarily the ones that we should be sharing our dreams and goals with. Sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not. And, you know, that external form of success is a form of success. You know, like financial security, financial wealth is a form of success. 100%. Material accumulation of things can be deemed in our capitalist society as a form of success. And that is okay. Okay. The problem, though, is when we only attach to those forms of success, because we know that there are many, many people that have reached the heights of whatever their, you know, whatever their goal was, and they're left with, but my main relationship broke down, or I'm disconnected from my children, or my mental health suffered, or now it doesn't happen for everyone. But I think we've heard enough of the stories to know that success is not so much about what it looks like. We need to understand ourselves enough, which comes down to presence, ownership, wisdom, equality, and responsibility. We need to understand what will success feel like for me. Now, for me, if I'm not connected to my teenagers and I'm not going well in my marriage, um, it doesn't really matter how much money I have in the bank. You know? And I'm speaking from a place of privilege and that I, you know, that I have financial resources. But I also know that those days when I'm not feeling connected to the people that I love a lot, or if I didn't have community, or if I didn't have my dearest friends, and I was kind of, you know, let's just say I'd won an Oscar, but I'm in a hotel room on my own that night that I won the Oscar, or I'm surrounded by people that I know don't really care about my well being or my mental health, that is not going to feel like success to me. But when I was at my farm picking daffodils and the sun was shining on me and the alpacas were staring at me in really odd ways, if I do say so, and I was picking bunches of daffodils to take back to my friends in the city, that felt like success to me because that for me was a rep being around beauty, being in connection with the land, having a community that I could contribute to and bring delight and joy to. And so I think even just looking at this idea of success is that we have to for ourselves understand what successful is for us because our power comes in that we feel powerless if we make success this external thing that the patriarchal capitalist society has told us is the one form of success and we go after it and what we tend to do is move the goalposts so we never feel successful we're constantly failing we're constantly never enough we're constantly don't have enough and then we're just on this ridiculous hamster wheel which has us feel powerless so once again, it goes back to presence, it goes back to ownership and giving ourselves the space and grace to work out who am I, what matters to me at this season in my life and what is important to me and what does success look like for me?
1: Yeah, it's it's so important too, because something that I feel like Ali and I have been talking about recently and, and something I see so much is it's like, and I think especially in a lot of the older generations but in our generation too it's like everyone's just done things that they're quote supposed to do right get married have a kid get this job right or like and then everyone's just depressed and miserable because they've done all of these things for external success or external validation and they're miserable in their marriage or they're miserable they didn't want children or yeah, i i don't know it's just Uh, or they didn't want that job or that corporate ladder that they climbed. They wanted to garden and be around art. Right. But they, I think it's that when we chase the external, uh, there's, I I just can't imagine anything. Right. Like, yes, maybe it's externally fulfilling, but internally, I think that's why so many people are, are suffering so much. And we have this loneliness epidemic and mental health crisis. And, you know, it's like, we have to get back to ourselves. And your book is so important and helpful in that. Actually, I want to give this person your book immediately because I was like,
2: I think this would help them very much. But I also think as well, there's something in taking ownership of the journeys that that for some of us, we have to be wounded before we can transmute it into something else. We have to be in the marriage we don't want to be in. We have to be in the job that makes us question our worth and our value we have to have the horrible boss we have to put our card into the atm machine and no money come out you know um that actually as well that is also part of the human experience like it would be pretty boring to be born and it all just i don't even know what would it be called i don't know but it's not living i don't know if it was just this kind of smooth you'd have no depth to you like what would you say at a party if everything <laughs> no one would going to be your friend like I I can't imagine, like, they would just go, I'm not, not inviting Kemi, like, nothing happened, like, there's nothing, (laughs) she doesn't experience anything, nothing happens, you know, yeah, that's (laughs) no turmoil, yeah, yeah.
0: Pretty, and, and true, and, you know, it's like, and, and with that perspective, and, like, a little humor around it, too, I mean, it's, like, without those things, and maybe this is very, like, Buddhist of me to say, but it's, you know, in, in our spiritual practice, it's, like, there's this concept of um, it's not the type of Buddhism where you like escape from society and like go meditate away from things. There's this concept of earthly desires are enlightenment. So the idea that ob- um, obstacles or challenges, it's the way through them that actually contribute to evolution is self or human revolution. As Erica mentioned earlier, this idea of like, evolving and becoming more aware or becoming, uh, more interested or curious or having appreciation even for the things that caused suffering at one point. And that's, that's where like that transmute mutation that you were talking about, where it's like, where this concept of poison into medicine, it's not excusing the systems that cause harm by any means, but it's, um, understanding in the personal journey that oftentimes, like you said, maybe I need to go to the ATM and have no money in order to have a moment where some internal wisdom comes up in me to take a, a, a next step of action or, or to have compassion for the person in my life 10 years from now, who had, is having that same experience that I had at that point or whatever that might look like, or however that manifests. And so I think you make a good point. And again, of course, better for party stories <laughs> because otherwise like, would yeah. be boring, right? But-
2: Yeah, and exactly. I heard something similar because I trained in India as a yoga teacher Mm. 30 years ago now. And it was the same thing. I remember the Swami saying at one of our big gatherings, he said, enlightenment is not about going up into the Himalayas and meditating. How do you know if you're celibate when there's no one around? How do you know if you're vegetarian? Do do you know what I mean? It was just kind of like, Some people get to take themselves out, but actually the work is to be a human in this space. And I also think we've been talking a lot about the the structures and the systems. And I was talking to somebody the other day who was really railing against the systems, you know, why doesn't our government this? And why doesn't, and I said, yeah, yeah. And what are you doing? You know, it's like, for me, what honors me is to grow beauty in the world at a time where there are so many challenges For me, it is saying a kind word to the person that's cleaning the public toilet. To me, it is smiling at, you know, I don't know, it's kind of, there's powerlessness in pointing fingers at other people. Unless you are deciding that your activism is to rail against the government and you're actually in government or you're, you know, a journalist or an activist, 100%. 100%. But I think when that isn't your calling and that isn't your work and you spend the time sitting on your couch railing about, things that the government aren't doing or that is powerlessness as opposed to deciding I'm going to go and bake cookies for the person that's just moved across the road that engages them it creates community you see them it creates an equality like that is beauty to me that is power to me otherwise our energy is being wasted on things that we cannot change so the power comes from you know, this locus of control, what are the things that I have control over, I can control the kind of neighbor that I am, I can control the type of human that I am, and as you said Erica, I mean goodness, the gift of personal development work is that you get to be in the world as yourself, and it takes as long as it takes, but the annoying thing about personal development work is that you can't blame anyone else anymore, and it's continual, (laughs) you know, like, it's never ending. We are onions and the layers and we go, oh, I thought I'd thought I'd work that out. And then it's like, oh, no, I haven't. So, yeah, there is light and shadow to it all.
1: Yes. I always say we are onions. So it's yes. like it's,
2: it's we are favorite onions. Favorite and my goodness, that. the tears do flow. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> really.
1: um, what is your astrological sign? Can I ask?
2: <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. But I have to tell you, maybe I'll give you a clue my my lack of hair is a complete contradiction to my astrological sign are you a that leo you? i am a leo
1: because yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. gonna say the uh, the leo the lion um and a lot yeah,
2: there you go. so i don't have the mane of hair for the listeners i have a completely shaved head and i'm also an introvert and so that's really interesting with the kind of leo the leo thing but i'm definitely a sun sign like i definitely yeah. am a sun sign
1: well, this sister- is. Tell me, are you
2: astrological? Do you want to tell well, me things?
1: I'm so. Well, I was going to say the sister sign of Leo is Aquarius. I'm an Aquarius moon, and Aquarians are like the humanitarian of the zodiac. So, actually, yeah. like an evolved Leo can feel very Aquarian too, just like, okay. right? Because you have the other side too, right? So, yeah. an evolved okay. Leo can be very un Aquarian or, uh, right, like more about the okay. self, lie lion, the sun. But again, that evolved Leo is very um, can have those evolved qualities of Aquarius, which is, you know, community. Uh, yeah.
2: Humanity. Okay. That, so. Yeah. It was, it was one of the things that I learned my first, father, my first set of foster parents mm-hmm. and my last set of foster parents had incredible communities that they were part of and that they engaged with. And so I learned from a very young age and then in my teenage years, which can be a little bit, you know, tumultuous. I just knew the power of community like and it's something that I'm very excited to be a part of communities but I also create communities because I know how invaluable they are I kind of got the memo that you're supposed to do life on your own but now I'm always saying actually that memo we need to rip it up we need support we are tribal beings we cannot do life on our own as nuclear you know this idea of a nuclear family where we shut ourselves away in our beautiful homes or whatever it is it's like so many families struggle because we were supposed to raise children in villages that's the african proverb it takes a village we are supposed to raise children with multi-generations and this idea that we're meant to do it on our own and that capitalist idea of individualism and you know you need to be a good parent and a good mother or a good partner and this is what you do families are falling apart we cannot operate in this separateness it's not sustainable for anyone
0: Yeah. And I just actually just going along with that, I heard of a study that was done about intergenerational living or even just relationship and children that have relationships with grandparents, like one generation removed from them, actually have longer life expectancies, which is really fascinating. Um,
2: That kind of makes sense, but also their sense of self, because there's nothing like if, you know. I'm aware that some people may be listening where their relationship with their parents is not great. And actually right. to have them have, you know, communication yeah. with their children is not safe or healthy for anyone. But if you have grandparents in your life, no one loves your child as much as their grandparent does. Yeah. In fact, the grandparents might love your child more than you do. And the thing is, is that it's not only I understand exactly why that they would have a longer lifespan, but it's also that these children get a different generation's thoughts and impressions and it may not be the same as us you know we're such a generation now we have therapy and we have opportunity to resources and grandparents can teach resilience in a way that we didn't yeah. grandparents can teach so much and I think sometimes as parents we have to let go of this kind of sense of my way is the only way and my parents it's like there's allowed to be tension and friction between grandpa what you're teaching your children and what the grandparents are teaching them because the children will go oh grandma said that I must put my jam even thicker on my bread, you know, and we can go well. Grand- grandma's got diabetes, and Grandma's blah blah, <laughs> but we can just say Grandma's always loved jam. Yeah, you know, like yeah. we can just we can just enrich it and just go. Oh, that's your grandma, you know. My my actual in, I lived with my in laws when I um, I had two home births, and I moved in with my in laws when I was six months pregnant, and my two children grew up with their great grandmother. Their grandparents, their mum, their dad, an auntie, and an uncle in the same house. So, four generations. And it was so beautiful for me as a mum to know I don't have to be everything to these children. Yeah. I can let their uncle be the fun one. I can let, you know, their grandpa take them out on walks on, you know, one day a week. And I don't need to get involved in those relationships. I don't need to micromanage my in laws or my, you know, sister in laws. I can just let them have relationships with my children. And from a selfish point of view, it made life much easier for me. And it does now having teenagers, that transition where they're a bit, you know, in their thing and I'm not the person they want to be around all the time. They'll Mm -hmm. literally go, mom, I'm going to grandma's. I'm like, see you later. Yeah. You know, that worked for me. Bye. You're not being that pleasant. Bye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's really true. Well, Kimmy, I feel like we could talk to you for, we'll have to, at some point, maybe do a part two, because it was a beautiful conversation and, um, And thank you for being here today. And as we wrap up, we ask all of our guests three wrap-up questions. So I'm going to start with the first, and that is at this phase in your life, what does your current self-care look like? And do you have any daily non-negotiables?
2: Yes, I do. So my current self-needs involve lots of flowers, so generally ones that I have grown, but my deaths from COVID, I realized that flowers were going to be a huge part of my mental health. And I just kept that habit going. Um, so either I'm growing them for myself or then I'm supporting a local florist. Um, my daily non-negotiables are being in my body. So I am i um, I'm someone that lifts weights as a midlife woman. It's incredibly important for us to do that. I'm also an endurance runner. I do yoga, of various sorts of yoga. So that's a non-negotiable for me being in my body, my meditation, my journaling of some sort. So they're my self-care non-negotiables.
1: Those are great. Thank you for sharing that. And the next question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you?
2: Gosh, being a black woman is courageous. That's it. That's my answer. And, and navigating the world, not being an apology. That's courageous. And maybe that's what I should say. Actually, it's not just being a black woman. It is being a black woman and knowing that I am not an apology.
0: Thank you. And then the final question, in addition to your own book, of course, which everybody should go out and buy, is there a book that's meant something to you that you would want to recommend to our listeners it can be truly on any topic it could be a novel just something that's resonated no, with you recently
2: no don't do this to me what, One book, oh that's really hard as a reader my gosh I'm looking at all the books that I have to somehow get back to Australia with me um okay so I will share two books actually okay. I can't do one. I'm sorry that's I'll fine. Share two. I'm- <laughs> Currently reading Samantha Irby's Quietly Hostile, which has had me in hysterics on the subway, walking the street like. So that's called Quietly Hostile. That's incredible. And a book that I read earlier in the year, which is just a beautiful read. And I think it actually I think your listeners, considering the conversations you have, would really resonate with if they haven't read it, which is Matt Haig's The Midnight Library.
1: That's on my list. I want to read it. Is so it? Bad. Oh, read Erica, the it is about beautiful. it. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, I've been. Um, I, I feel like it's going to be a tearjerker. It's going to make me feel. Yeah. I've been like saving oh, yeah. it for that kind of moment. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a
2: life. It's a life affirming book. I think it's a it's a life affirming book.
1: Yeah, that's it's what everyone says. So, gosh, thank you, thank you for everything you shared with us today. If anyone wants to find you follow you buy your book where can they do all of that
2: okay so they can buy my book in all great book retail spaces and probably some not good ones as well it's everywhere so that's fine um and i'm active on instagram so please come and say hello um and also they can come to my website which is my name kemi
0: thanks for tuning in to another episode of courageous wellness Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow
1: us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica. And we're Courageous Wellness.